Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. Karen Smith, longtime KiteLine contributor and friend, passed away this week. You likely heard Karen on many episodes of the show, including the past two episodes, in which she detailed the terrible conditions facing Florida prisoners during the pandemic. There's a lot that could be said about someone as dedicated as Karen, but we're going to save that for another time. In the upcoming weeks, we'll gather past episodes featuring Karen on our website. In the meantime, you can hear her on episodes 227 and 228 of the show. In Karen's honor, there's an online fundraiser set up for her children, which we'll also share on our website, along with links to articles about her and her work. Karen corresponded with and advocated for many people stuck in the prison system. If you're able, write a prisoner, stay in contact with them, keep them updated on the outside world, and shine a light on their conditions and struggles. As one friend and collaborator said in their memorial to Karen, quote, now we get to carry her work of toppling the prison system forward. And though it's daunting, it truly feels like an honor to be part of that legacy. With her memory and her spirit to drive us, we will fight inside and out, harder than we ever imagined possible, till the walls come crumbling down and every cage is reduced to ash, as were the slave plantations and factories that came before them." Unquote. Rest in power, Karen. At least eight prisoners were killed and more than 50 injured in clashes with guards at a Sri Lankan prison, officials said on Monday, as authorities tried to quell a protest over rising coronavirus cases in the country's crowded jails. Inmates in Sri Lanka have staged protests in recent weeks demanding an increase in coronavirus testing and new isolation facilities for infected prisoners. Sri Lanka has witnessed an upsurge in coronavirus cases in the past month, and over-congested prisons across the country have reported thousands of new infections. The latest clash at Mahara Prison, situated on the outskirts of the capital, Colombo, started on Sunday, when some inmates protested against prisoners infected by the COVID-19 virus being transferred from other facilities to Mahara. At least eight prisoners were killed and more than 50 injured, in the clashes with the guards, as authorities tried to quell the protests. The Northwest Detention Center in Tacoma, Washington, holds people in solitary confinement on average more than any other dedicated U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement facility, according to a new Watchdog report. The report by the University of Washington Center for Human Rights also contends that the center, in violation of ICE's own policies, imposes solitary confinement on inmates with mental health issues or who are exercising their First Amendment rights by going on hunger strikes. The report is based on federal government records and documents by the company that operates the prison, GEO Group, which were obtained by the Center for Human Rights after years of litigation. The privately run detention center holds as many as 1,575 immigrants accused by the government of living illegally in the U.S. and facing deportation proceedings. The report is based on records from between 2013 and March 2020 
that track solitary confinement cases and significant incidents by either ICE or GEO group employees. Researchers combined this information with statements by people who are or were detained by collaborating with various advocacy organizations, as well as reviewing federal court filings. Stays in solitary confinement at the center averaged nearly 70 days, which was 29% longer than any other dedicated detention facility, according to the report. The national average during this period was approximately 30 days. The review found that 34% of solitary placements involved people whose records were flagged to indicate the person had been diagnosed with a mental illness. The longest placement of an individual in solitary confinement for reasons of mental illness was 147 days. On average, people detained at the center who were placed in solitary for mental health reasons spent approximately 38 days in segregation. In at least six cases, the center put inmates into solitary confinement after they protested their treatment through hunger strikes. New laws designed to help more people convicted of low-level crimes and nonviolent drug trafficking get records cleared or punishments eased began Tuesday in North Carolina. The Second Chance Act and First Step Act are among nearly a dozen state laws approved since 2019 by the General Assembly, taking effect fully or partially on December 1st. These criminal justice reforms received renewed interest this year following demonstrations against racial inequality after the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis police custody. The First Step Act allows a judge to deviate from mandated long prison sentences and hefty fines for drug trafficking convictions if several conditions are met. A defendant in part has to have avoided violent activity, isn't a repeat offender, and must admit to a drug addiction problem. Drug trafficking offenders sentenced before Tuesday now can also ask a judge to ease punishment retroactively. The Second Chance Act expands the ability of people to get criminal records cleared of low-level criminal convictions, dismissed charges, and not guilty verdicts. These and other expunction laws are designed to remove what are deemed as youthful indiscretions that show up in background checks for employment and housing. Parts of the law taking effect Tuesday allow people with multiple nonviolent misdemeanors to petition a court to have them removed after seven years. It also does give law enforcement agencies the ability to access the records of expunged convictions when making employment decisions about potential officers. Prisoners at the Saskatoon Provincial Correctional Center in Saskatchewan, Canada, organized a hunger strike last weekend to protest the rapidly spreading COVID-19 outbreak at the facility. According to reporting by Global News, the Saskatoon prison has recorded a total of 142 active positive cases of COVID-19 on December 1st, including 26 among prison staff, a number which is growing daily. The strike began on Friday, November 27th and lasted until Monday, December 1st, when it was called off. Spokesperson for the Ministry of Justice, Noel Busey, confirmed that prisoners at the facility had been refusing meals. Corey Charles Cardinal, a prisoner at the facility and member of the Cree Nation, spoke with Perilous about conditions at the facility and his decision to strike. I've been trying to advocate for the common inmate since this COVID thing, and I, I put a few letters into Minister Christine, the Minister of Corrections and Policing, to no avail, asking her questions regarding an overcrowded population of vulnerable inmates that are susceptible to COVID-19, including inmates with pre-existing health conditions like immunocompromised people with HIV and Hep C, and those that's a co-infection, they go hand-to-hand. And overcrowded provincial jail here now, uh, Saskatoon has, uh, I think, six 
dorms of 30 inmates overcrowded. There's when the last dorm I was on, uh, it had five five inmates were sleeping on the floor, and there was 30 inmates, 15 bunk beds. So no chance of social distancing, sitting ducks, living in close proximity, shared bathrooms. It's uh, just just a disaster waiting to happen. And neighboring provinces in Alberta, Headingley Correctional Center, um, Calgary Correctional Center. Those were mass infections of COVID-19 in the correctional centers. So Christine Pell had a lot of forewarning to see this coming, and she was warned about it through an alliance of advocates that sent a letter, a whole list of signatories of trial lawyers and lawyer associations and other groups of advocates that petitioned for the counts to be lowered in Saskatoon, and that letter was sent to this spring, which came the, the levels of the, the populations drop, she let the, the levels get high again and overcrowding again throughout the pandemic, eight months, and to where we see it is today. The same group of lawyers sent another letter to her, I think a month and a half ago, citing those examples of Headingley and Calgary Correctional as prime examples of what's, what's going to happen. And she had ample warning and prime examples. She did nothing. Her dismissive attitude and her inaction, it was negligent. I, I think it was negligent, and I think, it, I think that's grounds for her to step down and apologize to the many inmates that got sick, that resulted in her staff getting sick. So I think there's 8 to 10 staff that got sick. So she's failed to protect us. She's failed to protect her staff. And now that we see increasing levels, we're going to see it boil into the community and flood the already flooded hospitals. And so, therefore, she's failed to protect the public. So I think that's grounds for her to step down, and I think that she should apologize not only to us but to her staff that got sick. There's a culture of fear in this correctional center that she's created, that she could have prevented, that not only exists within the demographic of vulnerable inmates, but there's also attentions being raised toward uh, the common inmate and the common staff because the staff's vulnerable too. See, it's a bomb ready to go off and there's tensions. And I had to mitigate tensions between the, the inmates who were scared and the, the staff. So when COVID-19 touched down on the unit I was on, I was put in the position to try to mitigate the levels of stress, and, and there was also a variable of stigma and racism that exists in this correctional center from the common, uh, the common inmate and the common guard, right? So those are the variables I had to advocate. I had to mediate. The inmates were scared to go and ask the staff for things because they were met with dominant professionalism. These are two social opposing classes, right, coming from two different levels of society. One dominant, the other marginalized. Approximately 75% of the of the prison population is Indigenous, is that correct? Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, uh, Saskatchewan. I think I remember reading a report way back in the day uh, locking up Indians in Saskatchewan. Now, I remember reading... Natives are 37 times more likely to go to a provincial jail than non-Aboriginal people in Saskatchewan. It's staggering. It just goes to show you what kind of dominant social norms 
exist in Saskatchewan. And Indigenous and Native people are disproportionately affected by the virus outside of prisons as well in the United States and in Canada. Okay, so you know all those numbers out there of on the news, percentage of people getting it, the numbers are increasing. There's a lot of bias in that because you're not even counting the fact of street people with no phones, no vehicles to line up with to go get rapid testing. Those numbers are all coming from a different demographic of people. If you were to get all those people tested that live on the streets, I think we'd see the numbers would quadruple. Just the people that are just handling it, like they've always done, mm-hmm. like they've learned to do throughout their life of having nothing. Corey, tell us a little bit about the hunger strike. Are you? Is it ongoing? Are you refusing trays or hunger striking completely? Okay, so I've made a decision because it's, for an example, my friend here, Troy Maurice, followed me from the unit I got hauled off for inciting. He, he followed me down to, to the hall just out of loyalty and uh, solidarity. So, and he's getting sick. He has COVID. So I've been talking with him. He's in the next cell over, and he refuses to give up unless I give up. He won't even eat unless I eat. I tried to co- coerce him, and he's denying that he's sick. I could tell he's sick. He's downplaying it, right? He's too loyal, and, like, he's... I consider that, and there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of numbers in this correctional center. A lot of my friends, a lot of my brothers out there that have COVID and they're coping, and a lot of solidarity and loyalty. They're hunger striking. They're refusing their trays. They're not eating, and they're sick. So I take that into consideration, and my friend over here, the best way I could protect him is just to call this off and have something to eat myself so that he can eat. He can be comforted. I just I can't be a part of suffering that's already already at play in here. So I, I don't know. It's been five days, and there's a lot of variables here. And initially, the hunger strike before you got hauled off to the hole, the hunger strike involved other people at the unit you were in. Is that Echo One? Yeah, Echo One, Echo Two, the big dorm, and I think the classroom four. All those uh, people were showing solidarity in uh, trying to. You know, like a protest. And this is a peaceful protest protected by our charter rights and freedoms, right? I mean, I had to emphasize that because the team leaders pulled me out and asked me because it had such mass publicity in it for Saskatoon. So, I mean, they had, <laughs> they were like, Corey, you're going to cause a riot. <laughs> so I was like, okay, let's get this straight. And I don't advocate for anything, you know, anything of that nature. I haven't even talked about the, the R word. I haven't said anything about, but then at the same time, I've got to consider what I'm responsible for and what I have to take into consideration, what my influence would suggest, you know? And there's a lot of scared people out there in the correctionals with high numbers, so that's why, you know, for my safety or for the common inmate safety, for the whole jail safety, that I, I think I should, I should call this, this, uh, this hunger strike off. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to say to leave our listeners with before we let you go? Very uh, dominant attitude in here about with racism, and I think it needs to stop. I think we need to uh, re- reform the, the system. We need to get new administration in. We need to get new people up there. Somebody to replace uh, somebody to replace Christine Tell because. She's sectarian-minded, and she's old-school thinking of ways, and this is 2020, and 
I think that we need somebody fresh to deal. I mean, like, you can't keep filling the jails with Aboriginal people. It's going to explode. And now we're seeing uh, an example of that. Thank you. According to Sherry Meyer, a prison advocate with Beyond Prison Walls Canada, who's in touch with the strikers, Cardinal was released from segregation shortly after speaking with Perilous. Meyer also reported that the prison had agreed to some concessions, including more free phone calls, increased canteen access, and access to cleaning supplies. To keep an eye on the situation in Saskatoon, you can follow Beyond Prison Walls Canada on Twitter, at prison underscore walls. Prisoners at the Charles Egler Reception and Guidance Center, RGC, in Jackson, Michigan, protested deplorable conditions in the Michigan Department of Corrections' dangerously inadequate response to the COVID-19 pandemic. According to the Michigan Department of Corrections spokesperson Chris Gouts, on November 10, 2020, about 40 prisoners at RGC congregated in the yard and refused to leave their units after dinner. Gouts then claims that one prisoner approached a group of other prisoners. Several guards intervened and were allegedly attacked by that prisoner. The prisoners were then forced back to their units but continued to chant in protest for quote-unquote quite a while. Gouts said that he did not know why the prisoners were chanting. Perilous interviewed H.H. Gonzalez, a prisoner at RGC, about the protest and the current conditions inside the facility due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Prelude to the incident, I lock in the quarantine, RGMC, uh, a name. We supposed to stand for Recession and Guidance Center. We changed it to receiving and giving COVID, which was a part of the reason why the incident really occurred. They don't observe social distancing at all. We double bunk. The cells are a foot apart, and you got two people in each cell. Uh, it's five tiers as well as four tiers. It's a base and then four galleries, and they are foot apart, so we stacked on top of each other literally like a slave ship with this rampant pandemic, with this highly contagious disease floating around. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, it's child hall food. It's rats in the child hall. Literally, there are rats running around the child hall. Uh, the food has roaches in it before people are finding bugs in their food than their cooked food. Staff are highly abusive. And they and, and they just taking advantage of a lot of things going on, and they're using COVID as an excuse to be grossly negligent. So on this particular day, guys are trying to have a peaceful protest where they came outside and stood outside, you know, just to get some attention, call some attention, get let's like, talk to a warden or somebody. Police got really antagonistic, start running up on guys, aggressive. Uh, and it turned into a full-out brawl between inmates and the police. We, they locked us down, put us on lockdown. Uh, we've actually been on lockdown since that time for one reason or another. They keep, they, it's either going to be the flu, influenza virus, or COVID. We've been locked down now for about the last three months, basically, for COVID. Uh, just recently, a hundred people tested positive in my block. We have blocks that have 240 people in them. A hundred people tested positive in my block. They put us on an emergency lockdown. It was for the Thanksgiving holiday. It happened on the 26th. They locked us down at night and left us locked in this unit, in a closed-in unit where they closed the windows and put six in the windows where the windows don't open for the winter. Left us, the people who tested negative, in the same unit, 
breathing the same air with the 100 people who tested positive for four days straight. They didn't let us take showers. They didn't let us out ourselves. Uh, the MDOC is grossly negligent at this facility with this COVID epidemic, with this pandemic. They're not following any of the safety measures, not even any of the universal procedures, social distancing. They didn't allow us to take showers for those times, for that time. Any of the time that we're on lockdown, we're not allowed to take showers, so we can't even keep clean. We can't even wash to be able to, you know, they say wash your hands, keep make sure you wash. We can't even wash because they won't let us out ourselves to take showers. And for four days straight, had us locked in. At nighttime, all you hear is people coughing, 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 going sick, asking for help. Uh, some of them bad, saying they need to go to health care. They won't even take them to health care. Like, the things that are going on here, like, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I've been down 31 years, and I've never seen anything like this in my life. The gross negligence, the deliberate indifference that's being displayed by this facility is it, it, reprehensible. Tell us a little more about how the guards and staff reacted following protests. Well, I want it to be known this. Uh, an officer ran up on a guy threatening and using vulgar language. I mean, literally threatening, telling him he'll kick his ass and everything. So the, the, the guy gets defensive swings on the officer. They they start fighting. The guy who they did this to, like 12 officers jumped on him. They beat this guy so bad that when by the time they got him to the hole and tried to take him to health care, he was scared to come out of his cell. He wouldn't come out of the cell because he didn't trust the officers. Then the officers started tasing people, shooting the gas everywhere unnecessarily, too. They didn't have to do any of this. They came out with the ERT team with the riot gear and all this stuff, started tasing people, shooting the gas, locked us down. Uh, they refused to give us our meds. Uh, they just really put us through the paces and, and saying, like, we we rioted. Nobody really paid attention to the fact there was a reason for the rioting. And after that, for, like, days, the inmates held the block. I mean, you know, the regular thing. They threw stuff out of the cells, set fires out of the cell and stuff like that. And the officers really left us to our own devices, brought us spoiled food, uh, came with meals really, really late. And they still have an attitude about it right now to this moment. I mean, carrying on, uh, their officers are fond of saying, we didn't tell you guys to come to prison and things like that. When I myself, personally, like a lot of guys in here, we were brought here for parole violations that we ain't been found guilty of yet. We haven't been found guilty of anything yet. But they keep acting like they're here to punish us. The officers act like they're here to punish us, not that we were sent here as a punishment. And basically what it's boiling down to is, like, for an alleged parole violation, we've been, sent, we've been given a death sentence. Uh, there are people extremely sick in here, and there are, people, there are officers who are taking full advantage of it. Went through a transitional period where they didn't have a warden, but now we got a new warden who actually tested positive for COVID her first week working here. And she puts out these uh, JPay letters on our JPay where she says, a lot of great stuff. She tells us the COVID numbers and says a whole lot of great stuff, like she's communicating with the inmate population and we're working to resolve this thing. And she's not communicating with us at all. The remedy to this thing is to, to lock us down and forget about us, to leave us in here like they're exposing us. Right now, there are people in my unit while I'm talking to you who just got off these phones who are tested positive for COVID or had close contact with, with cellies, with bunkies, roommates with somebody who had COVID, 
secondary exposure, right? It's inevitable that I'm gonna catch it. I mean, they they're not making it where I won't. You know what I'm saying? So it's inevitable mm-hmm. that everybody in here, uh, as of yesterday, they and they've been riding people out. They literally been putting COVID people, hundreds of them, on a van, driving them across straight to other prisons. And I heard that they're not supposed to do that. You know, uh, it's just I don't really understand, and I don't. I don't what I can't get is like how the public like it's, it's out there like and I know like they overwhelmed out there in the streets with the COVID pandemic or whatever now, I mean just imagine what we would go through in here especially since the guards in here look at us like we don't deserve anything you know administration mm-hmm. see us like we don't deserve anything so they don't care about us anyway I honestly believe that they leaving us all in the unit so that we do catch it because they're their philosophy is it don't kill every it don't kill a lot of people so we can let everybody catch it and then when they get better we don't have to worry about it anymore or using us for test dummies they test us every week they used to bring the national guard in for some branch of the service air force navy every week it was it was a, a, a i don't know a promotional stunt or whatever to come in here and test everybody on the compound every week i honestly believe they're using us as guinea pigs uh, to come up with a virus, but the the National Guard even stopped because the people who came in here to test us caught COVID, so they said they're not coming in here anymore to test us. Like everybody who walks through these doors is catching COVID. It's a guaranteed fact. So if you walk through this door, you, that's why we call it RGNC. We call it receiving and getting COVID uh, because everybody who walks through here is is inevitably getting it and leaving out of here with it. Uh, and most of the guys that's in here is for parole violations. Parole violators are violating these guys and sending them in here for petty crimes, for petty stuff, for petty parole violations. My parole officer sent me here for a vindictive, a truly vindictive purpose. I, I was protesting in the world. She asked me to cooperate with the police on stuff. I was protesting affordable housing. Uh, she asked me to cooperate with the police in the affordable housing where I was protesting over policing. I, I refused to do it. She got mad at me, put me on the tether. I had a lawyer contact her when she put me on the tether. She didn't like that. So she just looked for any reason to lock me up. And she locked me up, put me in, back in here. And I, I I didn't do any of the things that she's saying I did. So it's actually like I'm giving a death sentence for something that I didn't even do because a parole officer had the discretion, had the power to arbitrarily do it without any kind of just cause. And that's most of the guys that's in here. It's just amazing to watch this crazy in here. As of December 3rd, 2020, there are 613 active cases. There have been six deaths due to COVID-19 at RGC. Black Inc. has also published several correspondences with H.H. Gonzalez, available at black-inc.info. Special thanks to our friends at Perilous Chronicle. You can see the full articles associated with these segments at perilouschronicle.com. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. Please keep sharing the number for our coronavirus hotline. We'll continue to air messages from prisoners who call in from the inside and family members calling in for support for their loved ones. 
You can call in on behalf of a loved one, or they can call in to record their message about the impact of the coronavirus on their facility at 765-343-6236. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. We also want your feedback and to share your story. Feel free to write us at KiteLine at wfhb.org. If you want to support our work, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash KiteLine Radio Show. Any funds raised beyond operating costs will be sent to folks on the inside. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.